are in the book of Acts today. So if you have a Bible or if you've got a phone where you can look up, uh, use one of those apps, grab it. We're in Acts chapter 10. First, I want to say uh, where I was was on sabbatical, and I just want to thank you all for that opportunity. Um, I'll have more to say, I'm sure, as I am up here and see you in different settings, but the Lord did just some amazing stuff. The goal of sabbatical is to be renewed and refreshed and kind of fired up. And I was here for 12 years and then I got to take a sabbatical. So I'm ready for another 12 years. Let's go. Um, Yeah, I really, the Lord, amen. You may be like, we were hoping to get you out of here in five, but all right. No, I'm, I'm thrilled to be back. And one of the things that God did in my heart was I realized how much I love you and how much I love this town and this little church and our little spot in the kingdom of God. It's just a sweet place and very, very thankful um, to be here. So thank you for that opportunity. I'm thankful to our board and the way that that is written into our policies, that that is something that we do uh, for our pastors. And so very thankful. Uh, I want to ask you some questions as we get started. How is your heart this morning? Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burdened under something? Could be uh, circumstances happening in your life. Could be sin that you're struggling with. Are you struggling under the weight of a dead legalistic approach to walking with God? Religious kind of junk. I have news. Jesus is here. He's ready to meet you, to encourage you, to be the one who lifts your burdens. But I also want to remind us, there is a fight for the church. There's a fight for the kingdom of God. As soon as Satan was dealt a death blow from the cross and the resurrection, that made him, and I just say that because we don't know if he's, he's obviously not male. He's a, he's a demon. He's, you know, a fallen angel, but he's fired up and angry. And just as there is a plan for your life from Jesus, there is a plan for your life from the enemy. Constantly at war, our struggle is not against, what does the Bible say? Flesh and blood. We really would prefer that. It seems easier to solve it that way, but it's against rulers and principalities and dark world stuff. And we're like, oh, that seems a little hard to grab a hold of. And it is, but you have an advocate. You have a defender. You have a warrior in Christ who has already won. I bet if I could look into the spiritual life of your spiritual life, like not just what I see on the outside, but if I could see the inside, I would, I bet from the battles you have been in just this past week, maybe just this morning, I would see smoke coming out of your ears and scars and weariness and a fight. It's because it's normal. It's normal that there would be a fight. It's normal for us to get to a place where we would say, I want to give up. I'm discouraged. And it's absolutely normal for Jesus to swing in and say, I am your defender. I'm your advocate and I'm here. He is a great physician. So if you feel like you need healing and wholeness, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, he's a great physician. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a shepherd. He is so good. And even as we sang that song, how he loves us. I, I love that song. I remember exactly where I was. I was in South Carolina at a conference when I heard it for the first time. That idea of God's love being like an ocean that you can't even define and all you can do is just sink. All you can do is just lay back 
and experience who he is, but also like a hurricane that can come in and your life, whether you like it or not, starts going, bending like a tree that can't take the strong wind of his love. He loves us this morning. Hope we hear that and encouraged in what we read. Because when you're going to read this story this morning, you are going to see a couple of people, one of them that doesn't know God yet, one of them that does, and the church kind of being moved and pieces moved around on the board, God working in hearts. And there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that doesn't have to do with what we normally think of when we think of church. Most people, and this was me growing up too. You know what I thought church was? I thought church was about sitting down and standing up and sitting down and standing up. I was really thankful for the pew because you know what I could do with the pew? I could lean on the back like this and I could slide way down in it, even though my mom would catch me every once in a while. I was like, what is all this standing and sitting and reciting and singing and listening? So we think church is this. When's he gonna be finished? That's pretty good. That's not, I'm hungry. Rather than God at work behind the scenes at your house, late at night when you're sitting on the couch or laying in bed awake, worried, or trying to figure out how this is going. This is about the Lord moving in your life when you're not even looking, when you're not even sitting in the chair. And so you're going to see that today. But I think part of the thing we're going to see is also that sometimes for God to build his kingdom to build his church. Anybody know this verse? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. They won't win. I'm going to build my church on this rock. And Catholics thought he actually meant Peter himself. And so thus they made him the first Pope. And now we got all, you know, everything that you go to Rome and the St. Peter's Basilica, it's actually built on his bones. They're like, there we go. Upon this person, like it's okay. That's really literal. They built the church right there. What was he saying? Upon this declaration of Christ as Lord, is Christ the Messiah, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Have you ever heard about, experienced or seen, and maybe it's something that happened to you, where you break something? And this is, this is like a nothing, but I played football in high school. I wasn't very good. Backup quarterback, got up underneath, take a snack. Just that, that whole process right there is awful. Like just that you got to do that. Like here's another friend of yours. Like, hey man, I'm really sorry about this, but you know, you're like, they always tell you like, cause you're get, do it first time. It's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, like, you kind of barely put your hands in there. And the coach is like, no, you get in there and you, you let him know that you're there. And I'm like, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't want to do this. And so I remember I still was young. I wasn't that good at this whole thing. And I, I went up underneath for a snap put my hands in there and I was kind of not really all the way there. And so thus my hands weren't open to receive the snap. This big guy named Ben Rigsby, he took that ball and go, he snapped it back and he broke this pinky. Spiral fracture all the way through. It got huge. My mom was like, ah, it's not broken. <laughs> so a month later, my face mask had a little bit too much room and somebody's arm came through and hit me in the nose. We thought I broke my nose. So I got my nose x-rayed, it wasn't broken. They x-rayed my pinky, they're like, but your pinky still is broken. And it healed, you can barely see it, but it's, it's just crooked. Sometimes 
<laughs> you can see it. Sometimes when God wants to build something back the right way, what does he have to do first? Break it. It's like the worst news at the doctor. You go in, they're like, you know what? We can fix that, but we're gonna have to break it first. It's awful. Or you need to do demo. You go in, but Jesus sometimes has to get in there and do demo on your life. So I want you just that kind of thought right now about what God is gonna be doing in the lives of two people today. Acts chapter 10, verse one, we're gonna meet the first guy right now. Here we go. There was a man in Caesarea, it's a little town on the Mediterranean Ocean, not that far from Jerusalem, named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. So right away, you need to be thinking, a Roman soldier? Really? What do we know about Roman soldiers just a few chapters ago in the Gospels? What did they do to Jesus? They crucified him. They are not the first group of people that we want to think about ministering to Jesus. No, thanks. No, thanks. Not them. Jesus says, yes, him. A centurion. He's a commander of about 100 guys. Listen to this. He was a devout man, feared God. Interesting. And his whole household as well. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people, the people that he was there to be an occupying force for. Okay? Always prayed to God. So about three in the afternoon, I love the Bible. I love that it's history. I love that it said about three in the afternoon. It doesn't say one time something amazing happened. We don't know when, what day, or who was involved, but it was amazing. It says Cornelius, Centurion, Caesarea, 3 p.m. Historical happening. He distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, staring at him in awe, I bet. That's a nice way to say it. They always, people were always afraid when they saw angels. What is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial before God. Interesting because Cornelius does not know Jesus yet and his prayers have somehow ascended as a memorial. Just a little thing to think about. Now, send men to Joppa, 30 miles away. Call for Simon. But this Simon's named Peter because he's staying with a guy named Simon. So there's two Simons, but one of them's Peter. He's staying with a guy named Simon. So don't get him confused. Simon, Peter, that's who you want. He's a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone... He called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. And after explaining everything to them, he said, go to Joppa. Let's do what this angel said. So just basic, maybe obvious, maybe not. When you read about God visiting or an angel being sent, here's a good interpretation principle. It needed to happen. It doesn't randomly happen. It's not like, oh, you never guessed. An angel came the other day. Oh, really? I wonder why. God comes on purpose. This needed to happen. Cornelius needed an angel to visit him. Why? Why does God need to come to him? Why does God need to come to us? So before we answer, let's ask some questions about Cornelius. Already said Roman centurion. 
Roman soldier. Would have been difficult for followers of Jesus to think highly or anything of these people. But here's the thing. He's kind of got some religious chops going on. He's doing stuff. He's praying. He's giving alms, helping the poor, doing charitable deeds for the Jewish people. He kind of likes their God. He likes to pray to their God. He's kind. He's a pretty good guy. What's the problem then? Well, Rome, they had lots of gods. And you know what they would do? They would go into the temple and they would say, hey, what God am I praying to today? It's the exit sign, God. Awesome. Here's my offering. Where's the temple prostitute that I can sleep with? That's what they did. They brought money. They brought offerings. They slept with the temple prostitutes. And they're like, maybe the exit God and this whatever hanging sign thing God and this God and the God of the sun and the God of the oil, maybe they'll help me. And so Cornelius says, hey, I kind of like this Jewish God. I'll pray to him too. I'll let him see if he can help. But they got involved sexually in their temples. They got rid of their children. I don't know if you know that about Rome. If a baby girl was born, they would say, yay, a baby girl. Nope. They would say, put her outside. That was how they got rid of their children they didn't want. They put them on the porch. Let them die by exposure. Little side note, guess who picked them up? Christians sweeping by in the middle of the night. Beautiful, beautiful picture of how God was using them even under difficult circumstances. I said this as a side thing. I'm going to say it to you. Every word in this book was given under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God to people to write down it used their personalities, utilized who they were, but God assured that every word was written down and every single word came under the oppression of dictators and despots and difficult living government situation. Not one of them was in a situation where it was like, I just want to write today this new book of the Bible to say, praise the Lord, because everything's great. Every, every single one of them. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nero, all of them were under people that hated them and wanted them dead. And still they wrote things that said stuff like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. Hang on. Hold fast to Jesus. Don't give up. So I say that just to say this. They knew persecution. We right now kind of want to say, oh, I think we're under persecution in America. No, we are not. Baloney. That's what I said first service. No way. We don't know anything about persecution. This is peanuts. We can hold fast to Jesus. So as we're thinking about them in Rome, they put their kids outside. That's how they got rid of them. Cornelius' background is being assigned to this Judean province. It's an occupying army. But he notices something about this Jewish God. He's different. He's kind. They care for their poor. Romans didn't care for their poor. They're like, the gods must hate them. Sorry. My life's good though. I'll keep praying. So he's noticed by God. It's not enough to save him, but it is enough for us to say, hey, you know what? He's made in the image of God. God loves him. So that's not a small thing. But the thing I want you to realize is that God is moving in his heart before anybody even gets to talk to him from a church. 
We think about people that we want to know Jesus. God's moving in their hearts. He's doing something. So he's a God-fearer. He prays regularly. He gives to the poor. He is a good guy. In America, if it was us assessing his religion, I'm not saying from the church, but from the popular, secular worldview of religion, we would say this. The guy gives, he prays, he serves, he's kind. Leave him alone. He doesn't need to do anything different. He's good. It's good enough. You do your thing. I'll do my thing when it comes to God. We'll all get along. No problems. So then why is Jesus sending an angel? Why does God say that's not going to work? Jesus looks at his life and yes, you should be taking inventory of your own right now. That's what the Bible's supposed to do. You hear a story and you don't go, well, that's interesting that Cornelius had an angel and God looking at his, you go, okay, okay, I get it. What do you want to say about my life then today, Lord? Am I God fearing? I think so. Do I pray? Sometimes. Do I give? Sometimes. So pretty good, right? Good enough. Don't we hear that sometimes? Good enough. I think I'm okay. So imagine this, a heart surgeon. I'm gonna get a little graphic. Some of you have been through this, you know this. You had heart surgery or you had a family member. It's, it's a pretty intense process. Not, not anybody can do that. You gotta go to school for a long time. <laughs> Cracking open the chest, sorry, but pretty big deal. Putting the heart on bypass on a machine while they remove the blocked artery. Forgive me, medical people, if I get any of this wrong. I'm doing my best. I did a little research, but just a little. Um, opening up the leg to get a vein that they can then put in as a bypass artery, restarting, all this kind of stuff like that. Imagine if the heart surgeon, after hours and doing all this work, goes to put the last few sutures in the vein. And I know sometimes somebody else does that, but you get what I'm saying. And they leave out three or four. And everybody's watching. There's like, if you ever seen like pictures of open heart surgery, there's like all these hands, you know, and all these machines. And let's say they leave out three or four and you see this blip, 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 blip. Just some bubbling blood is just kind of starting to trickle out of the, the, the vein, the artery. The new bypass artery, the one that's going to help. And the doctor steps back and goes, you know what? I think that's pretty good. I think that's good enough. Close him up. What would everybody else in that room say? No way! We, he, that, no! We know how serious it is, don't we? We're not even, most of us do not work in a hospital. We know enough though about open heart surgery and surgeries to know that like, yeah, if you leave something in the body, that's a bad thing right? One of the sponges. Oh no. Well, it's in there. He'll probably be fine. Like you can't do that, right? You can't leave something bleeding. But why is it then that when it comes to our souls and our eternal destiny, the world is okay with saying, yeah, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. We'll be okay. Right? I'm a pretty good person. Close them up. I know it's bleeding. I know I'm missing some sutures. No, the Lord says, let me in there. I want to close that thing up. I want to repair the heart. I want to give a brand new heart. I want to make them new. So that is why Jesus is here. Jesus 
Acts. A reminder, this is the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus. I know usually we read the Acts of the Apostles. It may even say that in your book, your Bible. But guess what? This is Jesus acting. Yes, he uses people, but he acts. How do I know that? Verse three again. Three in the afternoon, he sent an angel to speak to Cornelius. He comes at three in the afternoon on this day to this house in Caesarea, to this pretty good man. Why? Because being good is not enough. Being good is not enough. Jesus says that, not me. The world would say, that's really unfair. You should really let people decide for themselves. Jesus says, no, no. Being good is not enough. So that's a picture of the Colosseum. Cornelius would have known about this eventually. You know, I think it was built a little bit later, but he would have definitely known about Rome. And if you've been there, the city is unbelievable. That you're, you're looking at these buildings saying, how, how did they make such amazing things? And it's like, it held like 100,000 people. It's got plumbing. It's crazy, this first century. But look at it now. Rome fell. The greatest empire in civilization. And they probably thought, you know what? Our religion's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. I think we're doing all right. I think we like our little system of praying to a lot of gods. Guess what? It's gone. It fell. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that the religious structure that Cornelius has built up around himself needs to be demoed. It needs to be broken. A good person without the gospel of Jesus Christ will not be enough. It will not be enough. Cornelius can't stay where he is. Jesus says, not going to work. But interesting, and I would love this to happen. Why doesn't the angel just close the sale? You know, like why just unle- like unload the whole thing. Like tell them the story, show them a little like eight millimeter movie or something, you know, like heavenly eight millimeter movie. Watch this, rose from the dead. He's here. Actually, you know what? Jesus, just come on in here and meet this guy. Let's get this whole thing done. Cornelius is ready. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to use some unsure, kind of faulty, not really clear what their mission is, somewhat prejudiced against other people, that's going to be my way. Let's talk to Peter. Let's talk to Peter. We're going to use the new church as the delivery system. And the problem is they don't want to. They're not ready. Peter has no intention of going to talk to a Roman soldier. I will not go in his house. I will not talk to him. But guess who is ready? Cornelius. Verse seven. What did he do after the angel? He called two of his servants explained everything and sent them. Look's that. Look, just simple obedience, simple steps. So let's look at the Lord's plans and why he didn't choose to just send a perfect heavenly email or vision to Cornelius. He wants it to happen some other way. Verse nine, the next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, that's those guys that were coming to Joppa, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. I guess I'm from the South and I say roof, not roof. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance 
And this is such an interesting way to do things, God, but here it is. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And so you don't see this in between, but as Peter's watching this, even as he's in a trance, he's like this. Ah, gross. Okay. A voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, no, no, Lord, I would never, I've never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. It's happened three times. Whenever there's three times in scripture, it's serious. It's easy interpretation right there, right? <laughs> it's serious. Three times. Suddenly the object was taken up into heaven while Peter was deeply perplexed about the vision, what he had seen, what it might mean. Right away, these guys showed up who'd been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. And they're like, no, not the Simon who has the house, the other Simon. We heard there's another Simon who's a Peter here. Is he here? While Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit told him, Three men are outside looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them. No doubts at all, because I've sent them. Here's the crazy thing. Something needs to be broken in Peter too. Something needs to be broken in Cornelius for him to understand what God wanted to do in his life. And something needs to be broken in Peter right now. And he already doesn't want it to happen. Doesn't want it to happen. In fact, he says, no. God is addressing sin in Peter and in the church already. What is the sin? Well, guess what? They didn't want to be associated with people that weren't Jewish. They didn't want this gospel really to go to other people, even though this had been God's plan since Genesis, since before the foundation of the world. Abraham was to be a blessing to all nations, all nations. So, not just Cornelius' sin and sinful lifestyle, but Peter's. Now, why do I say that? Well, when is it ever okay to tell God no? <laughs> when? Never. If you're telling Jesus no, something is wrong. Now, why did I put ribs <laughs> under this picture? <laughs> if you're telling Jesus no, something is wrong. Something in Peter in the church body needs breaking. And the way God is going to accomplish this, listen, I'd say no to many things, but barbecue is not one of them. <laughs> How do we get to Peter? How do we get to Peter? So I know I'm maybe a little too simplistic in the way I think about these things, but you may have, if you've heard me speak before, I like to think about sometimes heaven that there's like this panel for Chad, like this big like space shuttle, um, Houston, we have a problem panel with all these angels and people, all this stuff at work. And just listen, just go with me, okay? I know it's like weird, but... And so it's like, hey, Chad is blah, blah, blah. We've got to introduce Lisa. We've got to introduce Lisa. Somebody flip that switch. You know, it's like this big power thing, like in Star Wars. Finally, she comes in and it's like, everything finally starts to get right, you know, in Chad's life. Or the, the kiddos come in or different things. Like there's like big knobs and sometimes there's like red buttons, like... You know, like problems, problems. 
But I like to think about God working in our life and how does he move things? How does he do stuff for you? We know he knows all things. What does scripture say? Before a thought is even in my head and on my tongue, you know it, O Lord. How does that work? Knows what we're gonna do, knows our decisions. Are not all the days ordained for me? Are they not written down in your book? But so still though, we've got the panel. So I think about Peter and I think the angels were like, initiate Operation Bacon. It's time. We are so excited about this. We've waited so long because everybody knows I woke up as a kid Saturday morning. You smell bacon. You know pancakes are coming too. It was like freedom. Like it just felt like this is (laughs) amazing. And so Operation Bacon, this will do it. The Lord's like, this will do it. This will help him see what I want him to see. Here comes the sheet. And just imagine, because pretty much what he's doing is pork, non-kosher stuff. Bacon is coming down the sheet. And Peter's going, no. So they're like, huh. Let's let's go for um, phase two. We're going to do a second time. This time, thick cut. (laughs) So the thick cut bacon goes down the second time on the sheet. And Peter's still... Nope, I don't get it. I don't know. What are you doing? What are you doing? No way. I'm not doing this. They're like, wow, this is okay. Put, this is called a maple long john. Put this under a piece of bacon and lower it down. For sure, this will get him. But he still doesn't get it. And I know it's a little funny and it's just my, you know, thinking about the scripture. But God needed to speak to Peter. And so he used something that he would have been familiar with, ceremonial laws that had been given to them. In the Old Testament, Moses handed them down. Here is what it means to be set apart for God. You don't eat this. You don't wear this. You make sure you clean really well before you go into the, do your offering and sacrifice like that. And so God comes and sure enough, verse 13, a voice, you have to hear this, Peter, get up and kill. No way, I'm not doing it. Second time, third time, why the elaborate vision? Why is God harping on this? So sometimes what we think is correct doctrine keeps us from Jesus' mission. What had happened was something that had been a show and tell from God, a way to set them apart, to show them that he was holy, to show them that they couldn't keep the laws, were the ceremonial laws, the dietary stuff, the clothing, all those kinds of things different from the moral law, which we would say the sexual ethic of scripture, stuff like that. God was using it as a visual aid. So let me give you a visual aid that would be more from our time that I think helped me. I was asking the Lord about this yesterday. I was like, help me something now. And so in the military, I've never been in the military. I have great respect for those who have gone through this basic training I've heard about. One of the things they do in basic training, a lot of these over and over and over, if you get in trouble, whatever, anybody know what it is? Push-ups, push-ups. So many push-ups. If you see a movie and they're like trying to tell you, this is what it's like in basic training. What are they doing? Push-ups and running. Is that what the military is for? Push-ups? And again, if you have served, forgive me for layman's, (laughs) yeoman's interpretation here. The push-ups are so that 
at one point, if they are in a combat situation and under heavy fire, and those guys are terrified that when their commanding officer says, I need you to go, they'll go. It's a show and tell, it's, it's routine, it's getting them to this thing of, oh, this is what we do. But what they did with the dietary laws, what they did with the clothing laws is they said, yeah, and that's why we hate those people who eat this stuff. And God was like, hey, no, <laughs> no, that's not what I meant. So you got hundreds of years of doctrine just twisting God's heart. And Peter is all up in it too. How do we know this? Anybody remember a little passage from the book of John, chapter four, a lady at a well, where the disciples very happy about him ministering to that little town? No, we don't even walk by their town. We hate them. I've mentioned to you The Chosen. I think it's a great stuff. We have it on our app if you want to get an authentic view of what Jesus maybe was like. I think it's a beautiful way to do that. They have, they show that. They show that deep-seated hatred of another person. What do we call that today? Yes, come on. Of course, prejudice, racism, whatever. It's just sin, sin at work. God is addressing sin. He's after Peter's heart, not his diet. And he's after the church's heart, not the way they carry out their stuff. But this is Peter. But for Peter still, and this won't be the last time he struggles with this. You're going to see later on, Paul is going to confront him about it again. For Peter, certain people are in, other people are out. Okay. They're not out, but they're not really all the way in though. Right. They're not like as really as good as we are. They're still there. It's he's struggling how we see other people, how Peter sees Gentiles, how Peter sees Romans. We may not say it out loud. And I'm going to speak for me. Okay. The last few years, we've had a lot of opportunities to label people put them in places where they vote, what they don't do, what they should do. And so, man, a lot of times we, we think this, or maybe it's like an under level of thinking. We say, you are an enemy of God. You're gross. Your life is so dark. The way you're living is so ugly. I don't even know if he can love you. Now we may not write that down. We know better than to write it down, right? <laughs> we know better than to write it down, but it's in there. God's after that. Peter needs to repent of this, and so do we. Repentance is a scary word. Many times we think of the guy on the road with a big old sign and flames licking the edge of his sign saying, repent, you're gonna die, you're gonna burn. Do you know another word for repentance is to unlearn something? to learn a, a new way, to be transformed, to turn around, to change your mind, change your way of thinking, change your understanding, be transformed, turn to Jesus. When he says repent, he's saying, turn to my way, my way of thinking. Peter needs to repent of this, but Peter needs serious convincing. Verse 17, Peter was deeply perplexed. I don't know. So three times 
And still Peter's like, I'm not sure what that means. Verse 19, while Peter was thinking about the vision still, thinking meaning, um, I don't know. I'm not sure what I should do. God just said, Ugh, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go down and meet them. <laughs> Forget the bacon. Just get up and go meet these guys. How will Peter respond? Last few verses, and then we'll wrap it up here. Verse 21, then Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. I don't really know what you're saying. Of course he didn't say that. It's like so specific. <laughs> he, he doesn't have any excuses. God is like setting him up. It's like you either do this or you disobey God. So he says, come on in. And then he gives them lodging. And the next day he gets up and he leaves with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. Verse 24, the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them. He calls together this huge party, relatives and close friends. When Peter entered Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, worshiped him. But Peter said, hey, get up. I'm just a man. Verse 27, while talking with him, went in and finds all of these people. Peter says to them, you know, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Whoa. You got all that from your vision? God had some time to work on him. God has shown me that I must not say this about people. Not that I get to eat bacon now. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask you, ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied four days ago at this hour, three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. A man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Go get Peter. And he's staying with a guy named Simon. So immediately I sent for you and, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here, ready to listen to you. So verse 21, I just want you to notice this because it's very simple. How does God build his church? Sometimes simple things like this. Peter went down. No words, no sermons are happening yet. No clever evangelistic presentation to somebody. Peter got up and went down and said, here I am. The one you're looking for, what's the reason you're here? You can tell when Jesus has someone's life. You can tell when they belong to him. You know how? Though they may stumble, be proud, sin, be a jerk, be defensive. Oh my gosh, if you only knew, if you only knew. <laughs> Eventually, they will humble themselves and break. Hurricane. They'll break under God's love. Simple obedience to Jesus says, here I am. I'm the one. I'm the guy you're looking for. Can't believe this. I'm the guy. Of course, he wasn't like all, you know, circus ponies and, you go, whoa this is awesome. He's like, yeah, that's, that's me. That's me. 
So Peter, verse 23, then invited them in, gave them lodging. Next day, got up, set out with them. That's several yeses to Jesus. Obey, obey. Incremental obedience, step by step. No sermons have happened. No conversations. Just do it. Just meet them. Just listen. And when you know it, God is also still moving in Cornelius. He's getting ready. He invites all of his people. Verse 24, Peter comes in. Cornelius was ready for him. Called together all of his relatives and close friends. He's so excited when he sees Peter, he gets down on his face and worships him. And I want to say this. Peter could have waited even 30 seconds. He could have pulled a pope. Yes, my son, it is me, Peter. I was one of the, the, the first couple that were picked. I was very close to Jesus. I know him. He doesn't. Because that's not what followers of Jesus do. Followers of Jesus know he's the only one who deserves worship. And they push aside the temptation for power and recognition. And they say, get up, brother, get up. We're on level ground here. I'm a man. Don't worship me. Peter walks in and he says the funniest thing you would ever say to a group of people who are excited to meet with you and listen to you and accept what you have to say about God. He comes in and he says, I'm really not supposed to be hanging out with you people. <laughs> I read that. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That'd be, that'd be like me getting up here and being like, well, it's Sunday. I don't really like any of you, but <laughs> I guess I'll open the Bible, see if one of you changes. <laughs> That's Peter here, but then he says, but. So I almost feel like he said that first part. I'm not supposed to be in your house because I'm a Jew. I feel like the spirit was like, mm -mm -mm. but God has shown me. I can't call people this anymore. That's what he's implying. He was. I'm not allowed to see people this way anymore. That's way more than bacon, isn't it? So he kind of keeps taking steps of obedience. Why have you sent me? Verse 33, we're here. It was good of you to come. We're all here in the presence. Listen to this. This is a Roman centurion. So we are here in the presence of God, I think, to hear everything he has commanded you to tell us. What a softball. That's like, come on, man, throw that thing in here. Go. Like, this is God saying, here, I'm going to give you like one of these like massive, like you cannot miss this, Peter. You can't miss it. But he would have. He would have. If he'd stayed in his sin, you can't miss it. Some of us wish for this, for some of our friends or employees that we work with and stuff like that. People that are coworkers that don't know Jesus. We're like, oh my goodness. Can you imagine if you walked into work tomorrow and the person that you don't even like and they hate what you do, they think you're a bigot because you're a Christian. And they said, hey, I had a dream about you last night. And I think you're supposed to tell me whatever it is God wants you to tell me today. You'd be like, I need a Blado's donut or something. Like, it's, it would be unbelievable. But this is, this is the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. He is really, really good at his job. He's really good at it. 
knows how to change the people that he's even using, how to transform the church that isn't quite there yet. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Well done, Jesus. Hey, but this is still a representative of the Roman Empire. And if you didn't know this, Peter will eventually be crucified by the Roman Empire. Years from now, a Roman soldier, several others, will nail him to a cross upside down. And I wonder if he was laying there thinking, I can't even believe I went to that guy Cornelius' house. Look at this. Look at what's happening to me. I'm getting killed by a Roman soldier. I don't think so. I think it actually gave him what he needed in that moment to stay faithful to Jesus, to say, Lord, because what did Jesus say about the guys that were nailing his hands and feet? Father, forgive them right now. They don't know what they're doing. Beautiful, beautiful. Jesus is so good. And one more reminder, we have not even gotten to the words of the actual stuff in the gospel. This is all behind the scenes stuff. Nobody's sitting in a chair yet. Nobody's like listening. Nobody's doing any church stuff yet. It's just people interacting, things being broken and beautiful things being put in their place, built up by Jesus. So a few questions as we finish. Where is God already working in you? What simple step of obedience is he asking of you today? For Peter, it was get up, go down there, talk to that guy. What is it? Pray for that person. Quit thinking this about this person. Believe me when I say that I want you to love the outcasts and the immigrants, that I don't care how they got here. Believe me when I say that, that I want you to find the path I'll say, here's what I just tell you. I said this in, I was just in Tennessee with my family. Um, so I grew up in the very conservative South. Okay. And so I go back down there. And one of the beautiful things about living here is that we got a pretty good mix in this room of political opinions. A lot of like, it has taught me how to interact with people and how to listen and how to love and one of the things, like we were sitting there and, and somebody started in a conversation and said something like, well, just the libs and this and the conservatives and this. And I was like, oh Lord, how do I do this? How can I be Switzerland? How can I be your servant? And one of the things he just pointed in my heart was this, very simple. You know what? And I just said it. It was, it was to my brother-in-law. I said, you know, one of the things that's been cool about living in Minnesota, and I was bragging on you guys, bragging on you guys. I said, is that I have learned that if I just say, that person's this, that person's this, conversation's over. Isn't it? Isn't it? No more talking. I just said you were this and I don't like this. So therefore I'm going over with my people. And Jesus says, don't hear me saying anything about what position you should have or what, what blah, blah, blah. okay? <laughs> None of that. I'm saying there is a Christ path that is Switzerland that holds fast to what he says in scripture and loves people and does what he says. What is he asking you to do? Where do you need that bone broken again? that healed the wrong way 
that has you thinking a certain way all the time. Where do you think, I'm good enough. It's good enough. I go to church, do some stuff. I believe in that, sure. But no change in your heart or life when you go back. No transformation. You're still just as much of a jerk as you were when you came in to your kids or your wife or your coworker or your employees, whatever. You're like, no change, no gentleness. You know what word shows up in the New Testament all the time? Gentleness, 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 gentleness. It's like, oh my goodness. No change. What is God saying to you? Where you'd be like, yeah, it's good enough. I believe the right things. So who cares how I treat other people, how I see them? Where do you hear the Spirit saying, that is not enough? Are you telling Jesus no, in anything, in anything. If you are, I, I mean, I'm free to listen to you afterwards to tell me, if you want to convince me that there is a scenario where you can tell God no. The only one I know of is no, I reject you and I'm choosing my own path for eternity. That's the only one I know of. Instead, Mariah, you and team can come on up. Let's say together as a church, as a people of God who are growing and need things broken and rebuilt, Jesus, I'm the one you're looking for. <laughs> Be easy on me. He will, I promise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for hard circumstances to watch happen. This is Peter. This is your guy. This is one of the, the original few that saw all the cool stuff and witnessed to the resurrection and stuck his head in the tomb and got to see you and with all the other disciples, got to put his hands in your nail marks. And yet we got a few months later and he is saying, no, <laughs> no. So one, Lord, I think that should encourage us. That should encourage us because it's your great love and it's your grace and it's your power that moves us anyway. But I just pray, Holy Spirit, um, whatever you need to do, whatever you need to break. And Lord, I've said this and I'll continue to say this. I don't care if when it all hits the fan someday or even maybe sooner, if I'm whittled down to, we're whittled down to a remnant of people. But man, they're gonna be kind and they're gonna be resilient and they're gonna love people and they're gonna know what you mean and they're gonna be simple obedience. Lord, that's, that's what I wanna be a part of. Lord, I wanna say yes to you. I wanna say, here I am. I wanna stand in Christ alone, nothing else. Minister to us as we sing together, amen.